Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, you're listening. It's Tuesday, that means it's time for another podcast, another episode of Game Talk Radio. And what are we going to talk about today? We've got a couple things. Uh, two news stories, and then I want to talk about my, my experience at the Midwest Gaming Classic uh, this past weekend. So uh, first, uh, this first story we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about uh, some info just dropped this morning, great timing for us here, about the PlayStation 5. So Mark Cerny actually sat down with someone from Wired Magazine to discuss the future PlayStation system. So we have some actual new information coming out about that, which is great. Now we'll talk a little bit about the announcement of the Star Wars, the new Star Wars game. Uh, this is the one that uh, is being done by Respawn. It's an all-single-player game. And we're going to talk about how EA was advertising and marketing it a little bit, talking about how it won't have any microtransactions. So we're going to talk about that. And then, like I said, lastly, we're going to cover the um, the Midwest Gaming Classic, which, if you don't know, is one of the biggest video game conventions around. It takes place in Milwaukee, so it's a very short jaunt uh, for me to head down. And it's it's pretty big, and it's getting bigger every year, so it's actually, it's actually quite nice. And the new space they're in, I had not been to this one before. I'd only been in the last place they were in, which was small and cramped and, and not good enough. And now they're in a space that's much, much better. So that was very awesome to see. Uh, however, with that being said, before we begin, I have to, I have a little confession to make to all of you. I... I feel like I haven't done the podcast in a couple of weeks, and the reason is because I haven't. <laughs> so last Tuesday, when that podcast went up, I actually recorded that the Thursday before. Because if you remember, last Tuesday was my birthday. And I'd kind of mentioned that on the podcast before that I was going to relax a little bit. Like the part, part of my birthday day is just not having any obligations. So it's just just clear the path of any and all things that could get in the way and then just enjoy a day of not having to plan anything not saying i want to do nothing just that i don't want to plan anything so i just kind of react to whatever happens that day and just not stress about it and so that's what i did so technically i recorded the last podcast the thursday before that and so that puts us at almost two weeks out since i reported recorded a podcast and i didn't technically do any new videos last week because that thursday had also put up um was it a gamestop video it was some video i don't i don't I don't remember it's probably not a good thing that i don't remember but i remember it's fine whatever and uh so i put that out and then i basically had one whole week where i didn't do any content so i took a little bit of time off for my birthday which was um which was great and uh so that was a lot of fun uh and so i told myself on my birthday so last tuesday i was going to beat sekiro so if you, if you haven't been listening to the podcast before i've been working my way through sekiro and it is a game that it takes a lot of time to learn enemy patterns so that you can beat them. And as I'm going through the game now, it is tough. Um, it's it's tough. Like you 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 basically can't play the game for 15 or 20 minutes because you need like an hour or two to fail to overcome and to learn. I should say I do. Not every gamer needs to do that, but that that's what I needed to do to be successful at this game. So uh so I did I sat down to do it and I actually fought an optional sub boss at the end of the game. You don't have to fight um arguably the hardest boss in the game. And I beat that boss after like an hour and I was like, all right, cool. I'm I'm on pace. All I have to do now is finish up the last boss and I am done. And I was and I, I banged my head against the wall with that boss for three hours. And I didn't beat it. I the boss has four phases, and I almost right away I got to the halfway dead in the fourth phase. I was almost done with the whole game, and I died. And then I went back, started over. I couldn't beat the first phase, 
And then I couldn't beat the second phase sometimes. And I was getting so frustrated. Like I just needed to step off. And so I basically, after three or four hours, I was like, I'm done. I'm just, I'm tapping out. So I, I gave up for the day. Um, and then the next night I actually, a Wednesday, I had to work a lot Wednesday, Thursday, because we had a huge NES trade coming again. Uh, and I was working a ton extra to try to get everything set for the weekend because I was going to be gone and you want to give your guys, you know, and actually me and Dom were both gone. So it was just Dave and the part-timer. So Dave was going to have a tough time because he wasn't working with another manager. So we're like, Dom and I had to get, make sure everything was perfect. And so I was there late and anyway, the long story short, I was at the store late. I got home at like 10, 10 30 and I turned on my PS4 right away. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to give it a try or two just to see what happens. And I kid you not, first try, all four phases, boom, beat them, game defeated. It was awesome. And and, and as soon as I finished it, I, I realized that that is most likely going to be my game of the year. Um, <clears throat> I, I can't imagine any other game making me feel as good as that game does. And it, it's just so much fun to know, too, like to, to beat a game that you know is difficult and to know you overcome the challenge. I think that's part of you know, there's, there's okay to be proud of that. And, and again, I know there's like that whole subculture of dude bros who's like, they essentially gatekeep those games because they're like, Oh, if you don't like hard games, you shouldn't play it. But I mean, that's really the core principle of this game is that you learn through dying and you, you overcome hardships to appreciate, um, that sense of winning. And so, you know, I think that's fair, and I have that feeling. I have a massive sense of pride that goes along with knowing that I finished that game, especially since uh, my one of my very, very good friends, Mike, he finished it, and he finished it like a week or two before me, and I'm just like, man, I, I and I just didn't have the time to sit down and crank on it. As soon as I got the time to sit down, like uh, a couple weeks ago, I was at a LAN party, and, and when we weren't playing games together, I brought my PS4, and I jammed through probably half a second row just in like that day or two. So it was, it was pretty good. So once I got the time, I was getting it, but it took some time. Uh, but yeah, so that was what I did basically that last Tuesday. Didn't finish it, but I did finish up Wednesday. And then, um, Thursday I worked all day, worked, uh, worked late, went out for my birthday Thursday. I had a few friends and I just, we just went out and, and, and got some food. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. And then I was gone for the Midwest gaming classic Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I didn't actually attend the show Friday, but I did uh Saturday, Sunday. So I guess why don't we just start talking about Midwest Gaming Classic since I just kind of segued into that. And then we'll talk about the news story a second. But, um, yeah, so the Midwest Gaming Classic. So let me, sorry, let me, you know, I got to do my thing. So let me start over. It's a little easier to find the spot in the video when I cut this out. <clears throat> Excuse me. So to begin today on the podcast, we're actually going to talk about our Midwest Gaming Classic experience. So if you don't know, the Midwest Gaming Classic is a video game convention. I should say a gaming convention, but I feel like it's focused on video games. But there's pinball, arcade, there's even there are board games there. There's, um, you know, Magic the Gathering tabletop games are set up. But for the most part, it's a video game convention. And it takes place every year around the middle of April in Milwaukee which is obviously not a very short haul for myself to be able to to hop down. And it's pretty big. Uh, I, I went for the first time three years ago when it was at the old location, and they had outgrown that location by the time I went there. So it was definitely... It was definitely something that uh, needed a new home. And last year, they found that new home. And at the... Was it the American Center, the United Center? I think it's the United Center, something like that. And so this year, I, I actually had tickets to go last year. And then, as uh, a lot of you may remember, we had uh, the snowpocalypse, where it dumped two feet of snow on us in like a day. And they actually closed down the freeway. So even if I wanted to drive 10 miles an hour all the way to Milwaukee, the roads were closed, so I couldn't. 
and so I actually missed last year. And then this year I was able to go. Uh, it was actually the weather was great. It started to snow in Milwaukee, though, right as we left. It actually was I think they got like five inches of snow by the end of Sunday night. So it was like everyone's booking to get out a little early. Um, which I mean, Sunday afternoon on a convention is pretty quiet anyway, so it's not a big deal, but, uh, but it was really cool. So I'm just going to kind of walk through my weekend uh, of my, my whole experience there. And then, um, later I'm going to put up a separate video of my finds when I was there. So if you like this video and you liked hearing about the classic and you want to hear about what I found when I was there, I'm going to be showing that off in a separate video later for the podcast listeners at the end of the podcast, I'm going to talk about what I found and, and the prices I got them for. Um, so like I said, though, we're just gonna, I'm just going to kind of go through my weekend and, and what we did. So we left Friday morning. We actually stopped at a few game stores on the way down to Milwaukee because, of course, if you're a game collector, you stop at every store. And, and owning a video game store, as I do, it doesn't prevent me from stopping at every other game store. I'm still looking for deals for my collection. In fact, I bought, I'm looking at this like... 15 games for my personal collection or so uh, when I was at the Classic, so I'm pretty happy with that. Um, which, when I see how many games I bought, it actually makes me feel better about how much I spent <laughs> all weekend, which was a considerable amount. <clears throat> um, but we'll talk about that, too. <clears throat> and uh, so uh, so we, we went down. There's a couple stores. There's one in Mantua called uh, uh, Stockpile Games. They're more of a card shop, but they have video games. And I was there about a month ago, and they got an incredible Sega Genesis collection in. It's all dead mint in the box. Uh, or in the in the clamshells, and they had probably, if I had to guess, two or three hundred games. And so imagine the two or three hundred best Sega Genesis games. And what really sucks is the owner told me that a lot of the stuff they threw on eBay, like the more expensive, better stuff. And that really sucks because I probably would have bought a lot of that stuff too if I'd even had the chance. Um, but you know, what are you gonna do? I mean, that's just some game stores mentality. Personally, I I bucked that trend. I don't I don't like the sales of online. Mostly because um, I just feel like you're pushing it out of the area. You know, if you sell it locally, you have a chance to get it back uh, and you keep that game in your region. You know, if you ship it off to California, I mean, we're never going to see that game again, right? So uh, now that's for me, though. I don't have a problem selling games like that. Maybe if other stores have don't have quite, if they're not really a video game store and they focus more on card games, they would have a harder time selling video games, yada, yada, whatever. It's fine. I'm not criticizing the way they do things. I'm just noting that I was disappointed because I would have loved to have a crack at whatever sold on on ebay because one of the games i bought there was the punisher for genesis and that was complete in the box with tattoo and everything so if that didn't get sold on ebay i can't imagine what they were selling on ebay and i'm sure if they somehow had a crusader of senti that was in mint in box i'm probably weeping inside because i still need a dead mint copy of that which is gonna be very expensive very hard to find which i did not find one all weekend at the classic so with that being said um we drove down to that place it was really fun found some good games um then we went down to a place in Sheboygan called Freak Toys. And so Freak Toys is a toy store, a comic book store, you know, memorabilia store, and a video game store. And they have they have stuff too. Um, basically what I picked up there, they had a bunch of Resident Evil games for the GameCube. With, with Resident Evil 2 Remake launching, a lot of the Resident Evil games have spiked in price. And they had these ones still for quite some time, so I was able to pick up uh, a few of the Resident Evil games, a couple copies of Code Veronica for GameCube, Resident Evil 2 for GameCube, that they had about half of retail value because that's what they were at a few months ago, and they just still had them since the price hike. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I need these. I'll definitely pick these up. And so I picked up a few things there. Uh, and then I picked up also like a mint in box copy of UN Squad and for Super Nintendo. Very happy about that. And uh, a very nice copy, boxed copy of Phalanx. So, yeah, so there was some good stuff. So pretty happy with that for the most part. Um, oh, wait, wait, what just happened there? Did you see that? 
it brought up like a YouTube thing and it was like one of my videos was on the Midwest Gaming Classic page. I might have to take a look at that. Um, <clears throat> anyway, we'll keep an eye out. <laughs> I know I knew I recognized that thumbnail. Uh, that was not planned, by the way. Uh, so anyway, so that was Friday. And then Friday night we get in, you know, we check into the hotel and everything. You can go to the show Friday night. To me, it costs too much just for what essentially is a pre-show thing. And they had some cool giveaways. Like they gave you a shirt and they gave you like a little NES cartridge that if you plugged in, it would play a message like welcome to the classic or something like that. Like there was some cool stuff. I just couldn't justify that cool stuff for the price of the ticket. So I didn't get a ticket for Friday just for Saturday and Sunday. And, uh, so then, so Friday, you know, check into the hotel, relax a little bit. Um, played some Sekiro actually, uh, started my second playthrough of that, um, because my buddy Adam was there and he, he loves watching me play that game. Uh, he loves watching me rage at that game, uh, more, more accurately. And then, uh, so then Friday night, we actually in Milwaukee, we went to a restaurant called the safe house and the safe house is a really cool spy themed restaurant. And so you go in there, it's got a, you actually walk into like a secret room and you have to tell the password to somebody and then they let you in. And if you don't know the password, they make you do something goofy. Um, I showed up again for a second. Um, they make you do like something really weird and goofy. Um, because if you don't, uh, actually that might be because this is a YouTube video that they have linked in here or something. Um, but, uh, they, uh, you know, so they make you do something goofy, like, Oh, put this bag on your head and bounce around, like, and pretend to be a bunny rabbit so that we think you, we know that you have spy skills, you know? So, um, yeah, and, and, and that's fine. You know, um, it, it's a very fun restaurant. I got a drink called the Mission Impossible, which is meant for two people, and I finished it, and I got to keep the glass. So I have this huge, like, bubble glass. Um, but anyway, so that was Friday. And then Saturday, Saturday was uh, was the first day of the convention. So we got there. I was a little upset about this, but we already had our tickets, so the line was super fast. We get there at, like, 9.30. The show opens at 10. We get our tickets right away, and we're just kind of hanging out in the hall, you know, waiting. Like, oh, I wonder, you know, it starts at 10. We'll just kind of hang out. This is something that happens all the time at Wizard World. Like, when we go is... You get your ticket and you just kind of hang out. Well, then we noticed that the vendor hall was upstairs. Like, well, we might as well go upstairs and just wait outside the vendor hall. So we go up there. I hit the ATM. And um, there's, like, a long line that we're standing in. I'm like, okay, this must be the line to get in. You know, it's just everyone's waiting here. It's no big deal. And then all of a sudden I see, like, a room to the left. And there's people just going in and out of it. And I'm like, okay, well, what's going on there? And we look and it's the vendor room. <laughs> and so... We just walk in, and, and there's people walking around the vendor room already. And, and one of the guys, one of the first people I, I talked to uh, said, oh, yeah, they started letting people in around quarter after nine. And I was like, well, well what the hell? Like, you said it was going to be ten. And so, I mean, I was sitting outside for a half hour waiting to get in when I could just walked in and had kind of first crack at things, you know. But the thing about conventions, and Midwest is the same way, the thing about conventions is that – the prices on a Saturday are going to be as high as they're ever going to be. And they're less willing to negotiate. Um, so, you know, I just kind of walked around, um, you know, you, you look at things, but you like, you're not going to get a deal. So getting there right away isn't necessarily the best deal anyway, like getting there and, and, uh, what I want to say, getting there and, and walking around, you gotta still take your time, you know? So getting there first and getting first dibs isn't really a thing. I mean, it kind of is, especially if you don't care about the price you pay for things, it would be, but I kind of do. And I'm always looking for a deal. So, you know, I might've missed out on some things, but I spent plenty. So no, don't, <laughs> don't shed a tear for me. And so, yeah, so from 10 o'clock to about three o'clock, we walked around the vendor hall. And, and so when I go to wizard world, uh, I mostly go to these conventions. I love the shopping aspect of it. And Wizard World has, you know, hundreds of booths. And I, and most of them are toys and comics. And every now and then you run across someone who has video games. I'm like, cool. And then I dig through the video games looking for what I want. Well, this convention has hundreds of vendors. And every one of them has the video games you want. It's such an incredible feeling to look at the first booth you walk by has a glass case full of, like, ten games you want. 
And so you stop at every single booth, right? Because everybody has what you might want. And so you have to stop everywhere. It was a little crammed right away in the morning. That kind of sucked. Like I felt like people were really rude and you couldn't like, sometimes there'd be two people just standing in front of something. And I'm like, excuse me, I just want to take a look at this. And they're just like, like they're, they're not moving and they're not listening. And it's, you know, it's frustrating, but it's a busy convention and that's kind of how it goes. So I'm not gonna, I don't want to like harp on that too much. But it was kind of frustrating. Uh, and, and so I'm going around, though, and I, and I found a bunch of things I wanted to buy. Bought a few things right away. Um, like, uh, I f- like I'm, I'm going to talk about the pickups later, so I don't, I don't want to bog down this conversation with it. But So we did that. And then around like 2 or 3 o'clock, uh, my buddy Adam and I were like, you know, it's time to get lunch. They have stuff on site. But I'm like, you know, let's, let's go somewhere nice. And only about half a mile to a mile away is AJ Bombers, which if, if you've never been to Milwaukee or if you've been to Milwaukee and you've never been to AJ Bombers, it's like the best burger place I've ever been to. And, uh, they have, they have one inside of Miller park now too, but it's just the best burger I've ever had. And, and like they do these boozy shakes, which are like a caramel, it was a caramel white Russian milkshake with booze in it, you know? <laughs> and it's just, it's so good. Um, it's so good. And their burgers are just nuts. I mean, it's so good. And, uh, so anyway, so we went there, so we took an intermission to go get some lunch. We came back and we started walking around the hall a little bit more, but I had already dropped all my stuff off at the room like that I had purchased. So I kind of told myself, you know, I'm done with the shopping aspect for today. Let's take a look at the rest of the things because Midwest gaming classic isn't just about shopping. There's a whole bunch of other stuff, like a ton of really cool stuff. Um, as you can see on the screen here, they have special guest appearances. Um, I didn't see Eric Bischoff when I was there. I didn't see Sven Gulli. I did see, Ernie Hudson, you know, um, and he had a panel and they did a really bad job of telling people where he was. So I didn't see him there very long. A few people went up and got pictures, but it was kind of quiet, actually. It's kind of disappointing. But uh, but I, I, you know, saw him and like waved to him when he walked by. I didn't, you know, I'm not really a big like celebrity guy, like getting, uh, you know, getting autographs and stuff. But it was it was cool to see him, though. Obviously, somebody who starred in some of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, So that was neat. But that room he was in, as you can kind of see it right here. So this room you're seeing is like the, the the game hall or something you would say and it's got every system ever made hooked up to a TV playable. It's incredible. Like they have a and they have a whole section for just computers. They've got like 20 different Commodores hooked up. There was a, like I think it was an Apple 2E playing um Oregon Trail. They have all that stuff. And then on the other side they have all the consoles. So they have the very earliest stuff, the Odyssey, you know, the the Odyssey 2 um, the Atari 2600, and they go all the way up from there, and you get all the way to the PS4, Xbox One. Um, some notable things, uh, I thought they had an Apple Pip in there, which is terrible, um, but it's still fun to see. Uh, they have things like, um, they had a, an original Xbox, which is not surprising, except the Xbox they had in there was a Mountain Dew Xbox. <laughs> like, why would you put, like, the rare one of the rarest Xboxes, $300 Xbox, why would you put this in the glass? Like, why would you have this running for three days straight? <laughs> and just basically trashing this system, you know, and keeping it on and overheating, but whatever it's their system. They do whatever they want with it. It's fine. Uh, yeah, you can get your picture taken with like, they had the DeLorean there. They had the ghost, they had Ecto one and they had a couple of the vehicles like from Jurassic park. They had a couple of like the Jeeps and stuff. So there's, there's really cool stuff. It's a convention, you know, you, you have cool things. Um, so the gaming hall though also has hundreds of pinball machines all set to free play and, and a bunch of arcade games all set to free play. So that's a easily a place where you could spend a whole 
day like easily spend a whole day just in there playing games stuff like that um they had you know pinball tournaments and air hockey tournament going on they have they have not not a lot of people were there but they had an artist alley where they just had a bunch of artists um they had one person representing the guy who did all the box art for like the nes stuff back in the day for konami like castlevania box art and stuff like that he the actual artist wasn't there but one of the people representing the artist was there so it was neat to see um, and he even had, uh, cause he did snakes revenge as well. And they had some original art cells from when they created the box art for that game. And I thought to myself, damn, I would pay serious money for that snakes revenge one as a metal gear collector. Like that to me is a piece of history, one of a kind. And, uh, and I asked how much they were and he's like, well, if I was going to sell them, I'd sell them all together. And it'd probably be about $10,000. <laughs> like, oh. like, well, why don't you sell me this one for 1000, but they wouldn't budge. Uh, <laughs> but that wasn't his thing. So that, and that's fine. But uh, as, as a Metal Gear fan, it was really cool to see. So they, they have that. They have this this hall where you can just play everything. And and the pinball machines are great. I got to play a couple of pinballs I wanted to play for a long time. Uh, I played the Tron Legacy pinball machine, which is something I've been wanting to try for a really long time because I'm a huge Tron fan. And so, like, the Leg Tron Legacy is a really good movie. I really like that movie. And the pinball machine is really cool. It integrates music from the movie into it and all the bonus balls and everything. It's, it's really cool. So I got to play that. got to try out a few things. But it's hard for me to like walk around, like wait in line to play a pinball machine behind two or three people. And it's hard for me to play an arcade game and wait to play an arcade game. Like there's just so many people, you know, and it's not a bad thing. And like, I don't, I wouldn't go to this convention to play games for a whole day. I, th I think that seems like not the best idea, but it's still really fun. As you can see, like it's massive and, uh, and it was, it was a really good time and it's something really neat to check out. Also in that hall, they had something that was really impressive. And as you know, I've been pretty critical. I've been pretty critical here uh about wada which is the new game collect like the game grading service that's out there and I, i'm not their biggest fan i got in a little bit of a a beef with them at wizard world last year when i was arguing with them over the prices of their mint and box games and i was frustrated um in fact one of the games i bought for 380 mint in the box here they had for about five or six hundred last august and so it was already cheaper back then let alone whatever i don't want to get into it and so i'm not their biggest fan but i will give them credit they did something really cool and they they sponsored bringing someone's an entire nes boxed collection to the show and it was in like these these racks so they were the actual games i mean i can't say for sure the cartridges were in there but i don't know why they wouldn't be and they were like it was like this wooden metal bracket thing and they were in these sliders and so they had it was about maybe six or well, maybe eight or nine feet tall and they had every nes game alphabetical with a few exceptions, which is funny because they were bragging how it was all of them. And I kid you not, there was a stadium event in there, okay? There was rare stuff in there. But as I'm walking as I'm looking through, I'm like, wait a minute, where's Dragon Warrior 1? Like one of the most common games in the entire planet wasn't there. And so there were some weird omissions that way, but it could have been something like it got forgotten or it didn't fit in the I don't know. Who cares? Um, maybe they seriously only had enough room for like all except three and they had to just pull three games. But it doesn't matter. It was really neat. And, and it was cool to look through to see some of the boxed games that I've never seen before. And when you've owned a video game store for eight years and you worked at a GameStop for 11 years, when you've been working video game retail for 19 years and there's things that come across that you haven't seen before, that's kind of rare to me. And I think that's a lot of fun. And and it, and it was. It was it was super cool. And uh, so, you know, so we spent like Saturday afternoon doing that. And I think the show ends around 8 o'clock. We hit the hotel room back by like 6.30. And I was walked out, man. I felt like we – I felt like I just – I mean, I was walking all day and walking around. And I was exhausted. So it was kind of cool. Um, ran into a bunch of people at, at Midwest. It was cool. You know, a lot of my customers were down there. 
Um, a few people like I met uh, the 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 guys from Suggestive Gaming were down there. That was awesome. Got to see Josh. That was super cool. Um, you know, met uh, Super Nintendo. Uh, he was there. Uh, if you've never watched any of his content, it's pretty cool. Check out Nick. Um, so he was down there, and so it was it was cool to see some like the Twitter peeps that I've met, and to actually like. Um, you know, get to hang out with them a little bit and, and chat with them about their finds and what I was finding and stuff like that. So it was cool. It was a, it was a good show. And then, so I couldn't get a, something out of my head though. So right before we go back to the hotel room, there was one game in particular that I had seen that was in like the nicest condition imaginable. Um, it was this boxed, it was an, a complete in box mint dead mint in box copy of Frankenstein for the NES. So it's an uncommon game already. Uh, hard to find in the box, let alone mint in the box. Now, the story that the person selling it to me told me was that he bought a huge collection from like an estate sale, like an auction site, and the auction the auctioneer, in their words, stupidly opened every sealed game to verify the contents were inside. <laughs> so you can imagine how frustrating that was, uh, you know, to somebody who wanted to buy sealed games and make a bunch of money, but, you know, it, I also understand it from a practical standpoint for an auctioneer. So, in any case, uh, it was a dead mint, basically brand new is how it was sold. To me, it's brand new, just doesn't have the plastic on it. And I kept thinking about it, and, and the guy wouldn't budge on the price. And I understand it's Saturday, and, and I felt like he was a little high. I felt like the game goes between 130 150 He has it at 199 so I'm already like this. I don't like to pay over. But also, based on the condition, I feel like this the condition of this one would have elevated it to that higher tier, like the one person who's looking for mint in box would reach 50 to to $100 over the other price to get this one. Now, that might just be the justification I used in my head, <laughs> to, but it is, it is what I did. Um, so uh, I enjoyed it quite thoroughly. And uh, and it was, and, and so I, I, I went back and I was like, look, man, I'm on the fence. If you just come down, like, just give me a little win, like come down to 190 and I'll just buy it and then we can both be happy. And and this guy, I'm going to be honest, he's the worst kind of negotiator. It was not fun to talk to him. Uh, and he basically would not go down $10 on a $200 game. It wouldn't come down 5% on a price. It's just stupid to me. And it's frustrating as somebody who owns a business, who has no problem wheeling and dealing, and and who I I genuinely get enjoyment out of giving someone a deal. So if someone's like, oh, you know, and like like yesterday, unfortunately, I had someone ask me if they could get Silent Hill a little bit cheaper. And I was like, Ugh, I'll be honest, man, like, you know, Silent Hill, it's like we don't have a lot right now. So I don't... Uh, uh, I, and we just got it in. I can't really move on the price. But even at the end of the conversation, I said, well, the most I could do is I could probably take like five bucks off. Even though that was like, that was maybe, I don't know, 12% off or something like that, you know, um, of what the price would have been. It, oh, is that right? No, my math's pretty awful on that, I think. Uh, yeah, it actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been like, it would have been like, um, like, uh, Oh my God, I suck at it, like 7% off or whatever. I offered that because if they had said, oh yeah, I'll do that, it makes me feel good to know that they're happy leaving, right? I don't like anybody leaving the store not happy. And this guy like having none of it. And it's actually really frustrating to me. <laughs> and it's whatever. I mean, it's his shop. It, but to not even come down $10 on a $200 game, like that's just, that's bunk. I'm just gonna be honest, that's stupid. And and it's whatever. And And look, it worked because I still bought it because I had to have it. I went back for it. It was still there, though, like five hours after I initially talked to him about it. So it's like it wasn't flying off the shelf during the busiest part of the day. And I could have maybe waited till Sunday and maybe got it for that $10 off. And then my head starts to go, but wait, you're going to possibly lose this game in this condition over $10? Don't be an idiot. Go get it. 
<laughs> so then I just go buy it. It's whatever. It's ten. If I would have been happy with ten dollars off, just buy it for full price. It's fine. So that guy's kind of paid in my ass. And then there was one other game I had been looking at, which was a complete in box Ducktales two, which I saw for four hundred and ten, and I was not happy with that price. I was seeing some sell out at around two hundred and forty. Um, and so I was like, you know what? If I could get them down to three hundred, because it's mint in the box. If I can get them down to three hundred, I would take it. I'll pay extra for mint in the box. I have no problem with that. But I wasn't seeing them go for four hundred. But then the next, so so I let that one go. And so Sunday morning, we were gonna go to the the the, the show floor to like do one last loop around to shop, and then we were gonna check out of the hotel and leave. And you know, I looked up that morning. I'm like, well, let me just look up Ducktales two again. And I don't know what I was seeing the day before, but I was seeing some bid out over four hundred. And so I was like, okay, well, uh, now that now that I know that, I have to, you know, I have to take into consideration if I'm seeing it go for four hundred. If I can get it for under 400, then that's a good deal. And so I had to kind of, you know, get out of my head with it not being a good deal. So I went back that Sunday morning right away. He didn't have any other shoppers at his booth. I chatted with him a little bit and I noticed a little bit of a ding on the box, like almost enough to make it pull it out of what I would consider mint in the box. Um, and uh, and so I was like, I don't know if I can do this one. And then he just was like, well, if it would help you, man, I would go down to like 380. And I was like, oh, so I didn't have to ask him for $30 off. I'm like, you know what, if you do that, I'll take it. No, no question. And so I took it. And so I bought that one too. So there, I, I picked up some heavy hitters, as you can tell from the story. But um, yeah, it was cool though. Uh, and, and so that was kind of my, and then that was our Sunday. And then so Sunday, it started to like um, flurry a little bit in Milwaukee. I'm like, let's just get out of here. Plus I was ready to go home. I was missing my wife and I wanted to get home and sleep in my own bed and, you know, eat normal food again, not just be eating out every single day. And uh, so then we, we bounced and then we actually beat the snowstorm, thankfully. Yeah, and then on the way home, I actually stopped at Freak Toys and Stockpile again because I needed to pick up one thing from each place <laughs> again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that that was pretty much the weekend, though. So that's the Midwest Gaming Classic. Um, That was my experience, I should say, at the Midwest Gaming Classic. I had a lot of fun, and it's definitely something you, get, you should check out. If you've never been there, you definitely need to go. It's a, it's a really, really good time. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how else to describe it. Like, it's it's like if you're, if you're into playing games and you like gaming culture and you like everything about it you should go if you have if you have family uh, you have a little one uh take them on sunday it's like family day uh kids under nine i think get in for free all the time it's such a cool thing to share with them i think so it was pretty cool it was definitely a great show i highly recommend going to it um they always say every year they're not sure if they're gonna do it the next year but this one definitely was busier and last year they had that weird blizzard so it really stunted a lot of you know a lot of the growth i think like it'll push them back maybe a year or two but this year was really successful for them so i think we'll see it growing bigger and bigger in fact i talked to a few of my friends about even doing a booth down there next year now i'm still not sure if i want to because well quite frankly i like enjoying it as a customer not necessarily as an employee and having to go down there and work so we'll have to see how that works out but um definitely check it out the midwest gaming classic look into it you can watch youtubers uh talk about all their pickups and everything a lot of people go um i met ben heck was down there that was super cool um i was hoping to see billy mitchell so i could ask him some questions he wasn't there walter day was there but billy mitchell was not so it makes me very very sad that i missed him this year but it is what it is so um but definitely check it out midwest gaming classic every year middle of april in milwaukee check it out that really sounded like an advertisement for them. <laughs> I swear I'm not a shill. I'm not being paid. <laughs> um, I swear. I swear it. I'm not being paid. Um, and then, uh, so let's talk about, let's see. Let's talk about next up. We have, <clears throat> all right, here we go. I'm going to start this over. You all know how this works. So next on the podcast today, we're talking about 
finally some information about the PlayStation 5. So just this morning, sometimes it works out, just this morning, Peter Rubin from Wired.com released a story. It's an exclusive, what to expect from Sony's next-gen PlayStation. So it looks like he sat down with Mark Cerny, who uh, was the chief architect on the PlayStation 4. Also, he's worked on, I think he worked on Knack, was one of the games that he uh, was a producer on or, or had a hand in. And if you don't remember, he is also the dude who made Marble Madness when he was 19 years old. So the guy understands game concepts. He's been in the video game industry a long time. And now he's essentially leading the charge with the PlayStation 5, as he did with the PlayStation 4, which is very good news because the PlayStation 4 was quite successful. So let's talk a little bit about this console because there were a few things in here that were really cool that he had mentioned that we did not know before. So there is some new exclusive information here. Um, so uh, obviously we know it's going to be more powerful. That's kind of what the beginning of the article talks about. It's going to be more powerful, new CPU, new GPU. So it's going to be a, a more powerful system. We know that. But um, what Mark Cerny is saying is that basically it needs to add more because we already had kind of a mid-console upgrade. So it can't just be like a PlayStation 4 Pro Pro. It needs to be a, a very substantial leap forward is, is basically what they're saying. Um, so let's see. Uh, I want to get to... Okay, so here are some of the information about it. So PlayStation's next generation console ticks all the boxes, starting with an AMD chip at the heart of the device. The CPU is based on the third generation of AMD's Ryzen line and contains eight cores of the company's new 7NM Zen 2 microarchitecture. The GPU, a custom variant of Radeon's Navi family, and it will support ray tracing. So that is obviously a really big deal. Um, a quick description of what that is here in the article, a technique that models the travel of light to simulate complex interactions in 3D environments. So while ray tracing is a staple of Hollywood visual effects and is beginning to worm its way into $10,000 high-end processors, no game console has been able to manage it yet. Um, yeah, you start to hear about that with the new um, GeForce cards that are coming out. Like ray tracing is kind of like this new this new um, like technique that they're trying to implement. And what's really neat is later in the article, he talks a little bit about the other benefits besides just graphical. They can use that as a way to um, increase the intelligence of AI. So they can use ray tracing as a way for, say, another enemy to say, does he see you? If the light can touch that thing and the light sources from this angle, can I see that the player as the AI? Can I see the player from that angle? So there's more to it than just graphical increase. But obviously the graphics are a big thing. Uh, increased lighting is typically everything you need to make things look better in general. Um, so so that was a big part of it. So we, now it's verified that what that the GPU will have uh, accessibility to ray tracing. That is something that they're going to build into the system. So it's excellent. Um, uh, the AMD chip also includes a custom unit for 3D audio that certainly thinks will redefine sound in a video game. He says, quote, as a gamer, it's been a little bit of a frustration that audio did not change too much between PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4. With the next console, the dream is to show how dramatically different the audio experience can be when we apply significant amounts of hardware horsepower to it. So that's also interesting. Um, it's interesting that they want to use some of the power to make, like, bring around like that simulated surround or to add, add um, you know, audio audio uh, fidelity to like increase the experience. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, I'll be in, uh, I'll be honest. I'm not much of an audiophile guy. I never really have been. Uh, I have a nice pair of noise canceling headphones that I bought mostly for my trip to Japan um, because the airplane, I wanted to listen to music and sleep without having to hear all the other people. But 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I'm not like, I don't have a huge sound system at the house. I had a sound bar for a while, but usually I just play my normal speakers, the crappy speakers that run on LCD TV or LED TV, you know. So I, I'm not really much of an audio guy, but I'm, I'm interested. You know, I'll, I'll take something better over something worse any day, especially in a gaming console. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that by any stretch. Um, the results, Cerny says, will make you feel more immersed in the game as sounds come at you from above, from behind, and from the side. While the effect will require no external hardware, it will work through TV speakers and visual surround sound. He allows that the gold standard will be headphone audio. And so that that's, I mean, that makes sense that obviously you can, you can get audio equipment that would make it even better. But they're even saying that through your normal TV, you'll notice quite the increase. Um, let's see. One of the words Cerny uses to describe the audio may be familiar to those who follow virtual reality. Presence. That feeling of existing inside a simulated environment. When he mentions it, I ask him about the PSVR, the peripheral system that has sold more than 4 million units since 2016. Specifically, I ask if there will be a next-gen PSVR to go alongside this console. To which Cerny replies, quote, I won't go into the details of our VR strategy. Beyond saying that VR is very important to us and that the current PSVR headset is compatible with the new console. That's also a new piece of information we did not know. So that's very good. So the old PS4 headset, VR headset, will work on the PS5. This is very, very good for the PS5 successes. The carrying over of PS4 accessories and games is very, very important, in my opinion, to the success of the system. Um, so they go on to say... New CPU, new GPU, the ability to deliver unprecedented visual and audio effects in a game. Uh, that's all great, but there's something else that excites Cerny even more. Something he calls a true game changer. Something that more than anything else is the key to the next generation. It's a hard drive. <laughs> so like, wait a minute, that, that, that doesn't sound like the key to a next generation. But what they're fine, and, and you can understand this, and if you're a PC gamer, we've been, we've been fine with this for a while. But they're talking about solid state drives. So uh, th there's a really interesting uh, demonstration they do here. Uh, so they talk about, to demonstrate, Cerny fires up a PS4 Pro playing Spider-Man to a 2018 PS4 exclusive. Um, on the TV, Spider-Man stands in a small plaza. Cerny presses a button on the controller, initiating a fast travel interstitial screen. When Spidey reappears in a totally different spot in Manhattan, 15 seconds have elapsed. Then Cerny does the same thing on a next-gen dev kit connected to a different TV, uh, which they note that the dev kit is an early low-speed version. It's concealed inside of a big silver tower. Takes less than one second to do the exact same thing. And so this is nothing new to people that have PCs. Yes, solid-state drives load games and load Windows faster. I have my Windows installed on a solid-state drive because my computer boots up in a fraction of the time. But this is something very new to consoles, and especially in a time where we were getting to this weird mix in, in the console life cycle, right, where games were getting bigger, and even though we had better technology to reduce load times, the games were getting bigger, so load times weren't reducing. And this is going to be the first big jump in any sort of reduced load times and that's fantastic and it's not just in loading the game in fact he goes on to say um, on the original ps4 the camera moves at about the speed that spidey hits while web slinging because quote no matter how powered up you get a spider-man you can never go any faster than this because that's simply how fast we can get the data off the hard drive on the next gen console the camera speeds uptown like it's mounted to a fighter jet uh, and then periodically Cerny pauses the action to prove that the surrounding environment remains perfectly crisp while the next gen console will support 8K graphics. Not that anyone really has 8K monitors or TVs right now, but that's another unreleased piece of information. It will support 8K. 
that's excellent. Um, I'm not really ready to buy an 8K TV yet, but that's really good news. So there's some really interesting stuff that's kind of almost in between the lines here. So solid state drive, at least one terabyte. I'm really hoping they would put in a two terabyte, but we have to see because it all depends on the price of that solid state technology, right? Because the problem is all these things sound great until you start thinking about the price of the system. Now, I think 299 to 399 is your sweet spot. I think once you get to the 499 price, I do argue that you're pushing out of the price range of the average consumer. Not saying that this is worth this this isn't worth that. I'm definitely saying it is. But the problem is you start to the average consumer can't really afford that. And once you push out the average consumer, the whole reason of making the PlayStation VR was to get the average consumer into VR at a much lower cost. Uh, so, you know, that that's it's kind of counterproductive to make the system too out of control. I really hope they don't think a 499 PlayStation system is the right price. Um, it's certainly not as crazy as the 599 PlayStation 3 was. But it's it's up there, you know, and the Xbox One launched at 499 with a mandatory connect and people didn't really love the price of that either. So I'm just saying they know that part of winning the system war system war, you know, part of part of being successful is being accessible and hopefully they're able to squeeze everything they want to squeeze into into at least a three three ninety nine box. Please, Sony, you can do it. You can do it. Please run run those margins tight, please. Three ninety nine. Um, <laughs> uh, and, but anyway, yeah, so those are the things, solid state drive, uh, rate support, ray tracing. It's going to support 8k, which is f just excellent. Um, and there were a lot of things that they didn't want to talk about yet. Uh, he sees SSD solid state drive as unlocking an entirely new age. One that depends on the very tropes that have become the bedrock of gaming. We're very used to flying logos at the start of the game and graphic heavy selection screens. He says, even things like multiplayer lobbies and intentionally detailed loadout processes because you don't want players to be just waiting. Um, things that come to mind are the elevator scenes in Mass Effect and uh, other games like, like Dark Souls even has like a door that you have to push open and they'll make a really slow animation process of you opening this huge door. And the reason isn't to add something to the story or to, to slow you down. It's literally because it needs a little bit of extra time to load the rest the next area. <laughs> so that that was their neat trick on how to get around that, which I, I think is great. I think it's really neat that they they find a, an outside the box way to do that. Um, so uh, and as you've noticed, this is all hardware talk. Cerny isn't ready to chat about services or other features, let alone games and price. And neither is anyone at Sony, nor will you hear much at the console at E3. Because for the first time, as we know, Sony's not going to E3. Uh, they will have an annual game show. Uh, however, a few more things did come out during the course of our conversation. For example, the next-gen console will still accept physical media, which I'm not trying to brag. I called that. I, I said Sony's going to stay the course. They're going to make another system, physical media, uh, and then maybe after that they won't. But that this is the first time it's been confirmed. And I'll be honest, with Microsoft going all digital, Google Stadia, I could see Sony switching that up at the last minute. But to Sony... Like they can make these drives themselves and they're not very expensive. So, you know, like they, as a hardware manufacturer, they have, you know, a little more clout when it comes to this, but so that was very nice. So, um, here's a couple things. So like I said, the next generation console will still accept physical media. It won't be a download only machine because it's based in part on the PS4's architecture. It will also be backwards compatible with games for that console. Another huge one. So, Physical games will work in your PS5 from your PS4, and I'm assuming all of the games you've digitally downloaded will be re-downloadable on the PlayStation 5 and totally playable. It reminds me of the the PSP to the Vita, how awesome that was to have like all these downloaded PSP games and PS1 classics on the PSP. 
and you could play those on the Vita. Like it was like my Vita instantly had a library of a hundred games, 200 games. It was great. That's how the PS five is going to be. You instantly have a library. It's going to be excellent. Um, so then they go on to talk about the transition, the generational transitions. This will be a gentle one with numerous new games being released for both PS4 and PS5. Um, one of the ones that comes to mind is the Kojima game, Death Stranding. Uh, and when asked, a spokesperson in the room repeated that the game would be released for PS4. But Cerny's smile and pregnant pause invites speculation that it will be, in fact, a two-platform release, which I think was kind of a rumor for a while, and I, that makes total sense to me, which is um, arguably what they're going to do with The Last of Us 2 as well, um, unless that comes out this year, which I'm really hoping, but you never know. Uh, I really hope it does, because I don't know what else is coming out this year, especially if Ghost of Tsushima doesn't come out. Um, so I thought that was really cool. So, uh, and then they go on to say with gaming, what gaming will look like in a year or two, let alone 10 is a matter of some debate. Battle Royale games have reshaped multiplayer experiences. Augmented reality marries the fantastic and real in unprecedented ways. Google's leading a charge away from traditional consoles by launching a cloud gaming service. And later this year, uh, later this year, and Microsoft's new version of the Xbox will presumably integrate cloud gaming as well as allow people to play Xbox games on multiple devices. Sony's plans in this regard are still unclear. It's one of the many things Cerny's keeping mum on, saying only that we are cloud gaming pioneers and our vision should come clear as we head towards launch. But it's hard to think there won't be any new, more news coming on that front. For now, there's the living room. It's where the PlayStation has sat through four generations and will continue to sit at least one generation more. So that's the article. Very, very good article, informative, not speculative, um, by Peter Rubin at Wired. That was, that, was, that was a really good one. And so let's go over one more time everything that they confirmed. This is all good stuff. So first, they confirmed that it will um, that the GPU will have ray tracing and support up to 8K. That's that's excellent. I mean, that's that's fantastic. That system, the system will come with a solid state drive for increased or for decreased load time, so increased load speeds. And we know the system is going to be backwards compatible, not only with hardware like the VR headset, but also with software, uh, which is excellent. And it and then the system itself will still have a disc drive, and you will still print games on Blu-ray discs. Hmm excellent, all excellent news. So I'm very happy about it. It's not everything. We don't know everything about the system yet. But it is, uh, but this is this is uh, th this is pretty cool news. I'm very happy with uh, with where the direction's heading. Um, this will probably be the last hardware system we have that's fully hardware enabled. And after that, the world of gaming is going to change quite a bit as we go. Because you have to figure that after the PlayStation 4, Five, it's going to be probably seven more years or eight more years to the PlayStation Eight or <laughs> to the PlayStation Six. I'm jumping a few ahead there. And so if that's the case, that's eight or nine years from now. And the world will be a totally different place in eight or nine years, um, the way technology is increasing. So very cool, though. But here was a little bit about what's going to be happening with the next generation Sony console. And then lastly, there isn't much of a story here to talk about on the podcast, like that'll turn into a video. So I'll pretty much just go right into it. But basically, um, so EA finally announced Jedi The Fallen Order, which is a single player Star Wars uh, story-based game made by Respawn, which is very good. Respawn is very good at crafting stories. Before they were there and they were part of Infinity Ward, they had some of the best Call of Duty campaigns, arguably in Modern Warfare 1 and 2. And then, uh, so the, and, and Titanfall 2, very, very good single-player campaign. So these, the, the, the crew at Respawn know how to craft a solid story. So they're working on a new Star Wars game called Jedi Fallen Order. Which uh, my understanding of the story is that you are apparently the one Padawan that lives through the culling of, of Anakin Skywalker. 
And so that's not really the story, though, right? So the story is there's a new single-player Star Wars game, and, and the masses rejoice, and we're all happy and fine. And then EA tweets out, accept the past, Star Wars Die Fallen Order. And later they reply, no microtransactions, no loot boxes, and no, we won't be adding them. A single-player Star Wars story for those of you who are ready to become a Jedi. This is like one of the worst takes I think ever. Uh, I don't like how EA is essentially, which this is technically EA Star Wars. It's a separate Twitter account for the EA Star Wars games, I guess. But you're bragging about the past issues that people have had with your company. You're bragging that this one doesn't have it. Like, how far have we gone where you, you're you bragging about the norm? You're bragging about what you should be doing. It's like, hey, you know, guys, today I got up. I'm going to go to work today. <laughs> not going to call in sick. Not going to not gonna try to give my shift away. I'm going to come into work. Like, that's not something to be celebrated. That's what you're supposed to do. I just, I don't understand this this look and this take. Mm, I don't like it. I don't like it. It seems like they're almost poking fun at their history and the issues that people have with their business practices. Whether you agree with them or not, a lot of people have issues with loot boxes and with microtransactions. So to come out and say, you know, to brag about not having them, like that's not a selling point to me. And and uh, yeah, I don't I don't like it. Um, and along with that, somebody similarly had a take on Twitter where they said something like you need to support this so that we can prove that single player games aren't dead and everyone should pre-order and buy this. And, and my thought on that is, well, wait a minute. So just because EA for like once in their life, isn't manipulating us with microtransactions, we should support that game just so that they make more games like that. I mean, it's still like, I, I just don't feel like, uh, I, I just don't like it. I don't like the take. I don't like the idea that we should support them just because they're making a single player game. Like it somehow erases the the things that we have issue with if you have issue with them and it's okay if you don't have issue with them i'm just saying if you don't like microtransactions and loot box and you don't want to support ea do you support them just because now they have a single player experience that they're finally giving us like a full single player experience even the mass effect even mass effect 3 which should have been an all single player experience they they shoehorned in some multiplayer which actually wasn't bad it was like a wave-based kind of shooter it was fine but then you have microtransactions in that like ugh. Oh, it's in everything. But anyway, I just want to touch upon that. It's not really much much content there, except that I just thought it was kind of ridiculous that that EA went out of their way to uh, to brag about the fact that they did something that should just be expected and is just the norm anyway. All right, and uh, so I guess um, I'm running a little. Eh, we're okay. Um, okay, so what I'm going to talk about now in the podcast, you know what? Let's do. Yeah, let me do the my my pickups because I'm doing a separate YouTube video on my pickups from midwest gaming classic and uh so i'm not going to do a game of the week this week because i'm talking about my pickups but after i do talk about my pickups then i'll do the we have a user question and yeah and then and then we'll be we'll be good to go so because actually i have a lot of pickups so it's not like this is a an easy quick thing so my my games of the week i'll talk about so oh boy where to even begin okay so first up is azure dreams it's a ps1 rpg i picked up um, I got this for $40. It's worth about 50 so I'm pretty happy with that. Um, it's just a good PS1 RPG. It's Konami published. Um, really, really nice graphics, isometric view, you know, sp uh, sprite-based, really good stuff. So Azure Dreams was my first pickup. Then I'm pretty happy with this, too. I got a copy of Shadowgate Classic in the box for Game Boy Color. If you don't know, um, if I've never shown off my collection a lot which I guess I haven't actually done a collection video, but my collection, I collect everything mint in the box. And so 
I don't have a lot of loose carts. I've got about 100 Nintendo games, but they're all dead mint in the box. So it's kind of hard for me to find games that I want and games to collect. Uh, so I get games that I love. I love Shadowgate. This is one of my favorite Nintendo games. Um, they did a Game Boy Color version, which is also really cool. Not quite as good as the NES version, but it's still pretty cool. Um, but I like it for the collection. The box is also like this maroon color. Um, so it actually it, it fits pretty well. I think it's pretty cool. Um, so then I got... Let me... I'm trying not to crush my boxes here as I go through everything. So I only picked up one super, uh, two Super Nintendo games. Where's the other one on the bottom here, right? All right, hold on. Hold on. I got a whole pile of games. I'm trying to spill them on the floor and ruin them in their mint condition. So I got two Super Nintendo games. So that was the that was my PS1 and that was my Game Boy game that I picked up. I picked up a, a mint in box copy of UN Squadron. I also got, oh, and I got Shadowgate Classic for 25 bucks when that goes for about 30 or 35 so pretty about that. I got a copy of UN Squadron in the box, Dead Mint, for 50 bucks. This game, easily worth like 80 to 100 in this condition. Um, very happy about that find. And it's a good, it's a it's a horizontal shmup, uh, like a, it's, it's actually kind of a funny name, UN Squadron, like you play as like a, <laughs> you play as like a, the UN, if, if the UN had a police military force and then you're in a fighter jet and, you know, whatever. But it's, it's good. It's a side-scrolling uh, shmup. So then uh, the next Super Nintendo game I picked up was Robotrek. Robotrek is a Super Nintendo RPG brought to us by Enix. This is before the Square Enix merger. And uh, it's a really good sci-fi, like, space RPG. Very, very good. Uh, Robotrek is a lot of fun. I, I actually haven't played it very much, though. That's one I, it's really high on my list. I'm on a really big RPG kick right now. Um, so I've been really kind of going for every RPG I get my hands on. Um, okay, so now then to the Sega Genesis. So uh, I got six Sega Genesis games, uh, which I'm very, very happy about. Um, the first one up is Super Smash TV. Uh, Smash TV, I have a really soft spot for, even though I don't think the game's generally that great. It's one of the first, like, twin stick uh shooters that ever came out even though you don't actually use twin sticks um but it's fun it, it's a it's a fun game um it's kind of like an arena shooter the the, the sequel is called tonal carnage i think i have super smash tv on super nintendo take a quick look here yeah i have it on super nintendo mint in the box too i don't really care what version is which but i saw it in genesis i think it was 25 dollars and it goes for about 30 so i was happy with that get again none of these were like amazing deals but they were all under retail now, this next one I'm pretty happy with. So, Tecmo Super Bowl, one of the best Nintendo football games ever made, one of the best football games ever made, did have quite a few sequels that a lot of people don't realize. They released Tecmo Super Bowl on the Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo, along with Tecmo Super Bowl 2 and Tecmo Super Bowl 3. Now, what's weird is the rarest of the three is actually Tecmo Super Bowl 2. And I'm not quite sure why, um, but this game added a lot of things like you can trade players, you have different uh, defensive formations, you can do fake punts and fake field goals, and you can do quarterback audibles and stuff like that. So the game's pretty cool, but Tecmo Super Bowl 2 Special Edition is actually really uncommon. The loose cart for Super Nintendo, I think, goes for like $30 or $35. We had one of those recently. And I have the Sega Genesis, and this was dead mint in the box. Uh, this is from that Stockpile Games place that I told you about, and every Genesis game there was just mint. It was just awesome. So it was really cool. It's a really good football game. And, uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and I got dead. Mint. I want to say I got this for 35 mint in the box. And that's gotta be, I want to say it's at least 50, 60 in that condition. Actually, you know, let me, you know, let me look it up. Why not? We got time. It's just us, us hanging out together, you know? Um, so Temple Super Bowl two, 
Let's see. Yeah, like this one bit out at 40. This one bit out at 40. This one was 65 with the registration card. So, yeah, I would say anywhere from 30 to 60 seems to kind of be the range of that one right now. So I'm pretty happy with that one. Um, and then I got four boxed Genesis games. Now, if you don't remember, if you don't know, towards the end of the Sega Genesis life, Sega realized it was a lot cheaper to put their games into crappy cardboard boxes than to put them into plastic clamshells, which really sucks because part of the reason Genesis games lasted as long as they did was because they had a great protective shell, not cardboard boxes. However, a lot of great games came out in the late life of the Sega Genesis, stuff like Fantasy Star 4, X-Men 2, um, Vector Man, uh, Light Crusader, and a few others. So these games are box only. So to find them in mint condition is especially frustrating. Um, but I found a few. And in fact, the first one up is one I just mentioned, Gargoyles for the Sega Genesis. This is based off the Disney cartoon from the 90s, if you remember. It's a side-scroller. It's really, really good. Um, the animation's really good. The, like, the colors and everything, really beautiful for a Sega game. And, uh, and it's based off a really awesome cartoon. Um, next up was a Genesis game called Light Crusader that I had mentioned earlier as well. So Light Crusader... I don't even remember if this game's any good, but all I can tell you is that one, it's made by Treasure, which uh, is the company that did a whole bunch of um, really good games like Gunstar Heroes, and they've done they did that um, the Ronald McDonald game for uh, Gen uh, for Sega Genesis. Uh, they've just done a whole bunch of shmups. Treasure is a really good company; they do really quality games, and they made this one. And Light Crusader is an isometric view, so think it looks kind of like Diablo. And it's an action RPG, so you run around, you jump, and you hack and slash. So it looks kind of like the game The Immortal, or like I said, like Diablo 1, 2, or 3. Uh, and then you play as like a Paladin of Light. And it's pretty cool, and you go through dungeons and you fight stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, I bought this game. This is a funny story for me. So I remember after the PlayStation 1 had been out for a couple years, the shop co in my area where I lived, Stevens Point, was clearancing all of their Sega Genesis games for $5. I got Light Crusader for $5. I got Phantom 2040 for $5. I got Fantasy Star 4, y'all, for $5, brand new. And I wish I had had any inkling of collecting back then. I would have bought all of them and sat on them, but I didn't. And even if I did, I probably would have sold them by now anyway. I never would have waited till today because uh, when I first opened my store, I probably would have sold everything there like I did out of my collection. But uh, Light Crusader, a uh, really fun game. Uh, check it out. Then I got a copy of one of the one of the more expensive Genesis games. Uh, it's called Ristar or, or Ristar. You, it's basically the, the Kirby of the Sega Genesis. You look kind of like Kirby except you're like a yellow star. And your gimmick was you had these, like, stretchy arms. So you'd, like, stretch out your arms and you could grab onto things. And, like, you could grab enemies and then you'd, like, pull yourself to them to hit the enemy and, and kill it. Or you could, like, jump onto a thing and hang and spin around like Sonic. Uh, but that's a really good game. And it, that that I got for, let's see, Gargoyles I paid 64 which is right at retail. Light Crusader I think I paid 25 for, which is right at retail. And then Restar I paid 100 for, but that goes anywhere from 130 to 200 depending on the condition you find it in. So I'm very happy with that get. And then I finished up with Vector Man 2. I already had Vector Man 1. Uh, Vector Man 2 uh, is a, a Sega team-made game. It's a side-scroller. You play as like a robot in a junk planet. It uses a really cool, kind of like the graphics of the game Balls, where it uses like simulated 3D. Like they animate they animate 3D objects and then take 2D pictures of a 3D object. So it looks kind of like, um, like Killer Instinct, kind of, or something like that, except this was um, really smooth and like really fluid how it all worked. So, that was, so Vector Man's kind of a fun game. So that's all of my PS1, Game Boy, Super Nintendo, and Sega Genesis pickups. And then I have... Oh, actually, no. I got one more Genesis and then a Sega CD. So then I have one more Genesis game. It's the sequel to 
Uncharted Waters. So if you never played, I actually talked about Uncharted Waters one time here as my game of the week. But when they made this one, they on the Genesis, they don't even call it Uncharted Waters 2. They just call it New Horizons. And basically, they turned Uncharted Waters into an RPG with a like kind of fantasy setting story. You play as like a hero and you have a scenario. Actually, a bunch of different heroes with a bunch of different scenarios. So on the Super Nintendo version, they actually call it Uncharted Waters New Horizons. But on the Genesis, they just straight up call it New Horizons. So I picked up that because I am an Uncharted Waters fan. I've actually never played that game, so I can't really say it's good, but I, I hope it is. And then I finally picked up just a, a, a boxing copy of the Sega CD version of Echo the Dolphin because, well, quite frankly, Echo the Dolphin is, uh, is really good. <laughs> and the CD version has really good sound quality, and it's definitely the definitive version of the game, better so than the Sega Genesis version. I still have the Genesis version because that was the first game I bought with my Sega Genesis, that and the original X-Men, so it does hold a place in my heart, uh, Echo the Dolphin does, but I obviously want to have the best version of it I can get, kind of the same thing with Final Fight CD. And then lastly, we're down, so I have five more games to talk about. These are all NES, so these these are the kind of pride and joy. So, And if you've been listening to the podcast the whole time, you know that uh, some of these I already talked about a little bit. But first up, I actually bought a reproduction of Splatterhouse from the Famicom, but it's for the NES, and then it's remade um, in translated. But basically, Splatterhouse on the Famicom was a really kind of chibi version of the game. It wasn't, you know, like the Turbo Graphics version, which was actually like a bloody, you know, beat 'em up kind of mash 'em up. Um, it's fun. It's actually a really neat little platformer. But this one's kind of strange. And actually, after I bought it, I kind of regretted it. And I'll just tell you the story. So on the back, if I mean, you won't see the video, but obviously podcasters, but it says Retro Limited. That's the name of the company, Retro Limited. It says release number one, 78 out of 100. So they made 100 copies of this game. And so this guy basically is making reproduction carts and he's calling himself Retro Limited. So he's making limited copies of his retro reproductions. Ugh. Uh, it's like all things I hate all in one. Um, so that kind of sucked because I felt like I was supporting somebody who is trying to like manipulate the idea of something being limited to make more money off of it, especially something that is easily easy to manufacture at not much extra cost to him. It's not like you have to go back to Sony and say, I want to make another 3000 PS4 games. It's like you just make some more, you know, whatever, but it's fine. Um, next up. Are, and I'm doing this in, in price order. Uh, Splatterhouse Repro is like 40 bucks, complete in the box with a color booklet. I think that's pretty fair. Um, next up, I found a very, very good condition, damn near mint copy of Gremlins 2 for the NES. Uh, this is awesome. Uh, this game is awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this game is really awesome. And, uh, so, and the soundtrack, incredible. Uh, so this game was really, really good. So I, I was really happy to find this. There were two at the show that I was looking at. One was pretty beat up. This one was great. Guy took me to the limit, though. He made me pay 50 bucks for it, which is exactly what it goes for on eBay. So that kind of sucked. Um, but the guy didn't really want to sell it, so even getting it, I guess, was a good thing. And uh, like I said, we're going in price order here, so let me re- <laughs> let me rearrange these because we're about to get we're about to get nuts. Um, okay, so here we go. Now they're in the correct price order. So the next was I told the story on the podcast about Frankenstein. This is brand new, just out of the shrink wrap. I mean, everything is the most mintiest of mint in this game. It is, it, it, you cannot get more mint than this. Um, there's no even crease in the box from opening it. This is one of the nicest boxes you will ever see on the entire planet. I did pay $200 for this one because it was that miser who wouldn't go down an inch, that ass bag. Um, but uh, I paid 200 for it. It was going for about 130 to 150 on eBay for boxed copies. But this one being dead mint, I will reach to 200 on that, and I am not happy about it, but I did it. Uh, so second to last, we have Swordmaster. Now, this actually is a good game for the NES. We've only had this loose cart come into the store a few times. And this box also 
about as mint as you can get. It's incredible the condition of this box. Now the person who was selling this had it listed at 300 and I'm going to double check it right now because I'm, I'm not ashamed if I'm wrong, but I saw one sell for almost $400. So loose cart of Swordmaster goes for 200 So imagine a mint in box version of the same game is going to go for a lot. So like here, a boxed copy that the seller describes as very good condition, bought in 95, played once, item is like new. So basically the condition of mine, it bid out at 410 with three bids. That means there are people fighting over it. That makes me so happy that I got this for $100 under price and in mint condition. I absolutely love mint. And then finally, this is so this is the biggest dog of the day, but I got my copy of DuckTales 2. I have been waiting for this for quite some time, been searching online. And like I said, the price tag on it was 410. And and that was uh that was that was a hard pill to swallow. I did not want to pay that. And so I told myself, you know what? I'll come back on Sunday morning. If it's still there, he'll be willing to haggle because everybody is. They want to they move stuff. And so loose, loose carts of DuckTales 2 go for about 150 as well. So if you're following the Swordmaster, you'd figure that a complete box one's worth about 400 as well. Um, but again, that's not how this market works. Um, so here, like the game and box together sold for 200 Here, a complete one. It says new other condition, but if you look at it, it's kind of beat up. It bid out at 275 So then I'm like, man, this really, this really sucks. Like, uh, did I overpay? And then here's one that was new other bid out at 335 So it's interesting to know that this one bid out at 335 And then two days later, one bids out at 275 Like, why, why is it bidding out so low? And then, uh, now that was searching that way. I'm going to type complete now and see if I get a little different result. Um, so then I type in complete and you get a lot of them around the 300 to 350 range. And I'm like, man, that sucks. Like I didn't want to pay that much. So I paid 380. So I reached for this copy of DuckTales 2. And I hate to say that. Like, I hate to say that I had to go above and beyond what I wanted to pay. This is probably the only game I, I reached for at the show, but here's the weird thing. So then, you know, and I don't normally use this site because of its inaccuracies, but I went to price charting, pricecharting.com. Um, it's not inaccurate for loose carts typically, but it's not the best for complete in box because they don't know the condition of a game as it sells. So you type in DuckTales 2 here. Oh, I'm typing DuckTales 23. Um, DuckTales 2, loose price 163, complete price 425. And so when you look at the, the complete price, you see that one sold for 275, like I saw that. And then you saw one sells for $5.99, which is like, yeah, come on. <laughs> and then you see one for $4.99, $4.50, $4.50, $400, $4.29, 550 And this is all over the course of the last six months. So I don't know why this is reporting this, and I wasn't seeing this show up in my searches on eBay. And I don't know if it's just how I'm searching for it. Maybe it's because DuckTales I separated, and maybe we'll make it one word. Is that is that what's coming up? Is that what the problem is? Um, no, I don't know. It's, it's not showing those auctions though, that price charting is showing, but when you look at price charting, I feel more justified in, in why I paid that, I guess, especially one in mint condition. So if it's, if I paid 380 for a game that says it's worth 425 and I got over 380 and it's in mint condition that that's, I'll, I'll take that. That's a win. See, these are the sort of things us collectors do to justify the ridiculous amount of money we spend on things. So if you haven't been tallying this up, uh, I want to say I added up and what, what was the total? Let me... Let me see here. What was the total? I sent it to, uh, um, I sent it to my buddy Adam and this is just what I bought. So this is not count the hotel and the tickets, the show and everything. Um, I spent 1760, $1,760 is what I spent 
total on stuff on the weekend. Um, so yeah, mm, that's a lot of money. But this is also a one time a year thing, and I'm not going to Wizard World anymore, which Wizard World I usually spend five six hundred bucks, um, along with other shows I go to. So since I'm not doing that, I don't mind. You know, I think it's it's that one time a year where I'm really gonna cut loose. I save up money for this. I sold a bunch of my statues at the store. I sold my Sif and Artorias and my um, Amaterasu statues. I took a bunch of stuff that I had spent money on over the past year and equaled about this amount, and I sold it at the store. So I think that's that's a fair trade-off. Again, that's how you justify it, right? So that's essentially what we're doing for our Game of the Week segment. And then lastly, we have a user question, and then we're done. And then it's that easy, we're done. So uh, this question comes to us, uh, and here it is. What do you think the key difference between crunch and poor time management is? Do you think that crunch is unavoidable in producing AAA games? And do you think crunch is a product more from the publisher or developer side of the production in video games? So if you don't know what we're talking about, this is game development. We're talking about crunch. And crunch is essentially when people have to work extra hours to get the project done on time. That's essentially what it is. So uh, I would say first... Um, is there a difference between crunch and poor time management? Absolutely. Uh, however, uh, the next part, do you think crunch is unavoidable in producing AAA games? Yes. I think crunch is unavoidable in almost anything in the tech industry. I think crunch is unavoidable in every industry. We just don't call it crunch. Um, like I was saying, on Wednesday and Thursday last week, because I was going out of town, I had a deadline of Thursday night to have my work done. So I had to work extra to get my work done by Thursday night. Now, that was a self-imposed deadline, and I probably could have changed it. But that was a deadline set on myself. Um, look at, um, you know, restaurant workers during the Super Bowl or look at um, mall workers on Black Friday. These are jobs that all we all have our busy time during our work. And so we just don't call it crunch often in other industries, but it's the same sort of thing. It's working extra to meet a deadline or during a busy time. And so I think crunch is unavoidable because it's just the way things are. When you have deadlines, everybody crunches. There's times where everyone's had to stay late at work to get something done. It's just, I mean, I, very rarely would I think anybody would ever could ever say that they haven't. And so crunch is unavoidable. But is there a difference between crunch and poor time management? Yes. And I think that bad management is the problem when it comes to bad crunch because management it's your job to make that a smooth transition you your job as manager is not to do everything it's to make people do things get the best work out of people and it's to go to your boss and say we're going to have it done at this time then your boss might say nope need it sooner and then you have to take it back and sell that to your people you're a middleman uh, or middle woman and so crunch is unavoidable but poor time management is a result of extra bad crunch, I guess I would say. So there is good crunch and bad crunch, I think. I think everybody's experienced good crunch where you just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to, like, I do that at the store all the time. I'm like, hey, man, we just got 550 NES games in a couple weeks ago. I wanted them all cleaned and put out um, by, like, the Sunday after we got them. And I stayed late. Like, I worked two 15-hour days in a row. So I crunched that weekend to make sure that my work was done. Now, I didn't have to do that. But that was the best thing to do for my company and my business at that time. So uh, I think we all have crunch, but there is bad crunch, which is, oh, I need to stay late every single day for a month. And then when that month is done, they put you on another project that's in the middle of crunch because they need help. And now you're crunching for two months and three months, four months, et cetera. And that's not good. And then that just burns people out and it burns people out bad. So is one of those things that... Uh, uh, that, that is unavoidable, but it doesn't have to be a negative. I don't, I don't feel like crunch has to always be a negative thing. I feel like crunch is one of those things that people need to understand is just a norm. 
but then there is good crunch and bad crunch. And you, you negotiate that when you work for a company, like you talk to them and you say, look, you know, what kind of crunch periods are you having? In fact, I've been talking to, um, my brother is thinking about changing careers. And if he changes, um, you know, he's like, well, what, what should I ask? You know? And I'm like, well, here's one of the questions I would ask. How often am I asked to work outside the normal average salary, um, hours? You know, how, how often do I work over 40 hours a week in a year? You know? And something like that. Like those are fair questions to ask. And if a company says, well, we, you know, we're going to put you on this project. We're going to put you on this project. You're going to have a minimum of this hours. Like you're going to work minimum. When I worked at GameStop and I was salaried, I was a minimum 45 hours a week. If you worked under 45, you got written up. It's like, okay. <laughs> so even if it was super slow, you just had to basically be at the store for 45 hours. It was stupid. But when it was busy, like during Christmas, they mandatory made it six day work weeks. When I was there, they don't do this anymore. And, and obviously the rules have changed quite a bit since I was a salaried employee. But the rules were you had mandatory six-day work week, so you were working now 60 hours a week for the same amount of pay. And it was just it was just the norm that you would do that from the middle of November until the end of December. And that was just it. And then for a while, they were like, oh, we'll give you a couple comp days. But the difference is, again, it came down to management, right? If my district manager had said, look, I know you're working a couple extra weeks, extra days, I'll give you those days back. Just like and sometime in January, just say, hey, man, I need to take a mental health day. Work it into your schedule. And I would say, okay. Now, the problem with GameStop was they didn't give you the hours to do that because as a salary manager, my hours didn't count towards payroll. But my employees did. So if I take a day off and I have to cover it with an employee, I had to cut those eight hours somewhere else. So really, it wasn't, it, it didn't work that way. But that was supposed to be the design. And that's what I would do. Like, again, I've talked about this before. Middle management and management, you build relationships with your employees. You don't make them loyal to the company, you make them loyal to you. That's what makes you a good manager. And that's, I should say, that's my management style. I, I shouldn't say that's for everybody, but that's, that's what I've always done to be a good manager. And I make them believe in me. Don't try to make them believe in some billion dollar corporation that doesn't give a shit about them. I mean, like, like, like make them believe in you because you're a real person. You're who they interact with. And then you have to do the same thing when you go back to corporate. You say the same thing about your people. They have to make them believe that your people are right when they want to do things like cut payroll and, and stuff like that. So anyway, um, and then the last part was, do you think Crunch is a product more from the publisher or development side of production? I think it's both. I mean, I think when you have a project that's planned for two years, you have to assume there's going to be delays, pushbacks. It's not like very rarely are you working on a game and you're like, oh, that went way faster than I thought it would. It's like almost everything is a delay. So a lot of people will plan for a delay. But then on the publisher side, yeah, you, you have marketing that you have to do to sell the game. And that needs to start months and months before a game comes out. Um, one of the big ones in recent memories was Grand Theft Auto. We actually at GameStop had signs saying Grand Theft Auto was coming in like October. And they ended up getting pushed, I think, to March or May or June the following year. And so, you know, that was when Grand Theft Auto was on PS3 and 360. And so... You know, they had already had marketing uh, figured out for that. We had they had paid GameStop to put marketing up. They had posters with dates on it. Like it was, it was interesting. It was an interesting time. It was an interesting time to, uh, you know, to to see how even that far out you have to be doing marketing. So there is a little bit of pressure because eventually you just have to pick a date. Konami felt the same way with Kojima. Um, you know, they couldn't plan anything around it because he gave no implication whatsoever when his game would be ready, and he had kind of a "it's ready when it's ready" mentality. Which, when you have your own studio, is fine. But when you have a, another company paying you a bunch of money that doesn't believe in that vision, you're not going to get away with it. So yes, crunch is mandatory, but there's good crunch and bad crunch, and I don't think it should always be associated as a negative. That's my that's my short answer to that very long-winded answer that I gave uh, just now. 
So everybody, that is the podcast for today. Thank you as always for listening and watching. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I'll be back next week unless something crazy happens. Um, you know, it's just it's our thing. It's what we do every Tuesday. It's the it's the Game Talk Radio podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Game Trade Greg. Uh, Greg with two G's at the end. Uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes, you can subs- uh, follow and subscribe on um, SoundCloud. Just search for Game Talk Radio. Or if you're listening on SoundCloud and you want to listen to this in podcast format on iTunes, just search for Game Talk Radio. You'll find me in the podcast app. Uh, also, subscribe to us on YouTube. We're getting close to f- uh, f- we almost at 4,500 subs, and we're getting about 200 a month. So pretty soon we're going to be at 5,000 in just a couple months. And that's a pretty big milestone for us. Um, and then the next milestone for me is 10. I just want to hit that 10K. And that's when opportunities really start to open up for you. So that's my goal. That's what we're shooting for. Um, so please subscribe to us on YouTube. We're at youtube.com slash drop rate. Look for the yellow and gray DR logo. And of course, uh, on Twitch, we do our drop rate podcast every Monday night live. I've been playing games on Thursday with my brother. We've been playing Heroes 3. Jeremy does some uh, Apex streaming, usually Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So follow us on Twitch. We are twitch.tv slash the drop rate. Unfortunately, we couldn't be consistent between everything, but that's how it goes sometimes. So thank you, as always, everybody, for listening and watching. I hope everybody has a great week. We will talk to you again soon. Have a good one. Bye-bye.